Hello and welcome to Reading with Carrie, a mindfulness podcast series that can be used as a sleep aid or to ease your anxiety and relieve your stress. I am your host, Carrie Fable, and I am so thankful that you've decided to spend some time with me. One of the thoughts I have most about this podcast is the concept of seasons to the series, as it were. Basically, should I cover themes and rotate through them? At first, I hadn't really thought of that, and so I mixed in mythology, legends, and popular fairy tales to try to gain an audience. If you don't like hearing one thing, maybe another will catch your eye. But I then realized that having a season might actually be more beneficial. I know I tend to go through many obsessions. For example, once a year, I fall back into my love of steampunk-centered novels, and that's all I seem to consume. Same with true crime. So perhaps having a season of 10 to 25 episodes of one category at a time will make it easier for you, the audience, to pop in and enjoy what you want to listen to. If mythology is not your thing, pop back in a month later and we'll do more fairy tales. That sort of thing. But as I am working through finessing this podcast, I am not going to jump into any one decision lightly. Instead, I'm going to focus on one of my goals I've had for a while, reading all of the original stories from those of the most popular fairy tales. Yes, most of the ones I'm talking about have been converted into movies by Disney, but there are a few non-Disney tales that I'd like to read as well. This week is the origin story of Tiana, Disney's Princess and the Frog. I must confess, I thought the name of the original story was The Princess and the Frog, but apparently, after some light research, it actually is The Frog Prince. Now, you will notice that the princess character is not at all like that of the virtuous and level-headed Tiana. I quite like the character Disney created much better, and she's actually my sister's favorite, tied with Cinderella. She's just a good example of a true heart and a good work ethic. However, a great moral can still be learned from this tale, so I suppose it'll count as her origin story. But first, let's start with a mindfulness exercise. Today we will be doing gratitude, but as always, let's begin by focusing on our breath. So close your eyes and just focus on breathing for a moment. Don't change the pace forcefully, just notate the process within. If you just started this podcast after experiencing some anxiety, try to gently encourage your breathing to slow a bit. It sometimes helps to take a deep breath in and release it as a sigh. Or you can try internally counting to four, let your breath rest within your lungs for a beat, and then let the breath back out on a count of four, resting with your lungs empty for just a beat as well. Go through this counting cycle once or twice before you just kind of release it back to naturally focusing on what your body wants to do. In and out. In and out. Settle into the rhythm of your breath, slowly coming into your heart and gently leaving it. It's okay if your mind wanders. Just make a note of it and bring yourself back to focusing on your breath. Now, we're going to switch and focus a bit on our mind. We are going to think of three things 
that we should be grateful for. You may be in a difficult situation or time in your life right now, and so this question may be hard to answer. That's okay. You can be grateful for small things, like the air you breathe and the water you drink. That's perfectly acceptable. Or you could name something on a massive scale. Maybe a miracle just happened, or you got some good news. That's good too. Just try to answer the question, if I could, what would I be grateful for right now? Or think of it as what do you hold in your heart? Focus on just one of the three things for now. Focus on this item or this thought and be truly grateful in this moment. Thank whatever it is in your mind. Metaphorically embrace this thing for which you are grateful. Now move your attention to the second thing you are grateful for, the second item you hold in your heart. Again, it can be very simple, like your favorite beverage, or perhaps a pet, or even an item that you own. What are you using to listen to this podcast right now? Could you be thankful for that? Right now, be truly grateful for that thing. Think about what it brings to your life and thank it internally. And now, move on to the third thing for which you are grateful. It doesn't have to be something physical. It could be a concept or an idea. Perhaps an activity you enjoy doing, a hobby, or a blessing you feel you have in your life. Focus on this item and be truly grateful in this moment. Really see it in your mind and feel the joy it brings you. Slowly bring your focus back to your breath once more and just sit with the rhythm for a moment without adjusting it in any way. When you're ready, slowly open your eyes or keep them closed, but bring your mind back to this podcast. Great job. You've completed the exercise. Let's take a nice, long, slow sigh to celebrate the gratitude that we now feel in our heart. Wonderful. And now here's the story. In old times, when wishing still helped one, there lived a king whose daughters were all beautiful. But the youngest was so beautiful that the sun itself, which has seen so much, was astonished whenever it shone in her face. Close by the king's castle lay a great dark forest, and under an old lime tree in the forest was a well. And when the day was very warm, the king's child went out into the forest and sat down by the side of the cool fountain. And when she was dull, she took a golden ball and threw it up high and caught it. This ball was her favorite plaything. Now it so happened that on one occasion the princess's golden ball did not fall into the little hand which she was holding up for it, but onto the ground beyond and rolled straight into the water. The king's daughter followed it with her eyes, but it vanished, and the well was deep so deep that the bottom could not be seen. 
On seeing this, she began to cry, and cried louder and louder, and could not be comforted. And as she thus lamented, someone said to her, What ails thee, king's daughter? Thou weepest so that even a stone would show pity. She looked round to the side from whence the voice came, and saw a frog stretching forth its thick, ugly head from the water. Ah, an old water splasher, is it thou? She said, I am weeping for my golden bowl, which has fallen into the well. Be quiet and do not weep, answered the frog. I can help thee, but what wilt thou give me if I bring thy plaything up again? Whatever thou wilt have, dear frog, said she. My clothes, my pearls and jewels, and even the golden crown which I am wearing. The frog answered, I do not care for thy clothes, thy pearls and jewels, or thy golden crown. But if thou wilt love me, and let me be thy companion and playfellow, and sit by thee at thy little table, and eat off thy little golden plate, and drink out of thy little cup, and sleep in thy little bed, if thou wilt promise me this, I will go down below, and bring thee thy golden ball up again. Oh, yes, said she, I promise thee all thou wishest, if thou wilt but bring me my ball back again. She, however, thought, How this silly frog does talk! He lives in the water, with the other frogs and croaks, and can be no companion to any human being. But the frog, when he had received this promise, put his head into the water and sank down, and in a short time came swimming up again, with the ball in his mouth, and threw it on the grass. The king's daughter was delighted to see her pretty plaything once more, and picked it up and ran away with it. Wait, wait, said the frog. Take me with thee. I can't run as thou canst. But what did it avail him to scream his croak-croak after her, as loudly as he could? She did not listen to it, but ran home and soon forgot the poor frog, who was forced to go back into his well again. The next day, when she had seated herself at table with the king and all the courtiers, and was eating from her little golden plate, something came creeping splish-splash, splish-splash, up the marble staircase, and when it had got to the top, it knocked at the door and cried, Princess, youngest princess, open the door for me. She ran to see who was outside, but when she opened the door, there sat the frog in front of it. Then she slammed the door too, in great haste, sat down to dinner again, and was quite frightened. The king saw plainly that her heart was beating violently, and said, My child, what art thou so afraid of? Is there perchance a giant outside who wants to carry thee away? Ah, no, replied she. It is no giant, but a disgusting frog. And what does the frog want with thee? Ah, dear father, yesterday when I was in the forest sitting by the well, playing, my golden ball fell into the water, and because I cried so, the frog brought it out again for me, and because he insisted so on it, I promised him he should be my companion. But I never thought he would be able to come out of his water, and now he is outside there, and wants to come into me. In the meantime, it knocked a second time and cried, Princess, youngest princess, open the door for me. Dost thou not know what thou hast said to me? Yesterday, by the cool waters of the fountain, Princess, youngest princess, open the door for me. Then said the king, That which thou hast promised must thou perform. Go and let him in. She went and opened the door, and the frog hopped in and followed her, step by step, to her chair. There he sat still and cried, Lift me up beside thee. She delayed until at last the king commanded her to do it. When the frog was once on the chair, he wanted to be on the table. And when he was on the table, he said, Now push thy little golden plate nearer to me, that we may eat together. She did this, but it was easy to see that she did not do it willingly. The frog enjoyed what he ate, but almost every mouthful she took choked her. At length he said, I have eaten and am satisfied. Now I am tired. Carry me into thy little room 
and make thy little silken bed ready, and we will both lie down and go to sleep. The king's daughter began to cry, for she was afraid of the cold frog, which she did not like to touch, and which was now to sleep in her pretty clean little bed. But the king grew angry and said, He who helped thee when thou wert in trouble ought not afterwards to be despised by thee. So she took hold of the frog with two fingers, carried him upstairs, and put him in a corner. But when she was in bed, he crept to her and said, I am tired. I want to sleep as well as thou. Lift me up, or I will tell thy father. And then she was terribly angry, and took him up and threw him with all her might against the wall. Now, thou wilt be quiet, odious frog, said she. But when he fell down, he was no frog, but a king's son with beautiful kind eyes. He, by her father's will, was now her dear companion and husband. Then he told her how he had been bewitched by a wicked witch, and how no one could have delivered him from the well but herself, and that tomorrow they would go together into his kingdom. Then they went to sleep, and next morning when the sun awoke them, a carriage came driving up with eight white horses, which had white ostrich feathers on their heads, and were harnessed with golden chains, and behind stood the young king's servant, Faithful Henry. Faithful Henry had been so unhappy when his master was changed into a frog that he had caused three iron bands to be laid round his heart, lest it should burst with grief and sadness. The carriage was to conduct the young king into his kingdom. Faithful Henry helped them both in and placed himself behind again, and was full of joy because of this deliverance. And when they had driven a part of the way, the king's son heard a cracking behind him as if something had broken. So he turned round and cried, Henry, the carriage is breaking. No, master, it is not the carriage. It is a band from my heart, which was put there in my great pain when you were a frog and imprisoned in the well. Again and once again, while they were on their way, something cracked, and each time the king's son thought the carriage was breaking. But it was only the bands which were springing from the heart of faithful Henry, because his master was set free and was happy. The lesson of this tale is quite obvious. Always keep your promises. We've discussed this concept in episode 21, titled The Lady Promised. Remember what the king said, that which thou hast promised must thou perform. In other words, never make a promise you cannot keep. Breaking a promise breaks trust, and people will lose respect for you if your word is seen as unreliable. I wanted to find some moral or lesson to the concept that the little princess threw the frog against the wall, and that was what broke his curse, not a kiss or a show of kindness. But honestly, it doesn't make much sense. He tells her he was bewitched, and only she could have saved him from the well. Okay, but how does hurling him across the room count as saving him? It wasn't by her mere touch, because she picked him up previously. Perhaps I'm missing something. Maybe it was the pain and humiliation that ended his punishment? The tale states, by her father's will, his curse was cured. So it was not her undoing at all? What an odd concept indeed. Something else caught my eye though. The servant, Henry. First, they completely skip over how Henry was alerted that his beloved prince was cured. Perhaps the iron bands on his heart shifted when the curse was broken? Why was this piece included in the story to begin with, at all? Originally, the tale was also called Iron Henry, which I find fascinating. A tale about a spoiled princess befriending an enchanted frog who happens to be a prince was named after the prince's servant. One would stand to venture that the story's protagonist is the servant, not the princess. Here is another translation of the ending that I wanted to share that I found on... Seyaku.com. 
link in the description. Now, faithful Henry had suffered such care and pain when his master was turned into a frog that he had been obliged to wear three iron bands over his heart to keep it from breaking with trouble and anxiety. And when asked about the creaking noise, he says, quote, The wheel does not break. Tis the band round my heart that to lessen its ache when I grieved for your sake, I bound round my heart. And finally, the sound was, quote, the breaking of the other bands from faithful Henry's heart, because it was now so relieved and happy. Henry, who I once saw somewhere called Harry, but the original name is German, Heinrich, was so overcome with anguish, he locked iron bands around his heart to keep it from breaking. That does not sound like simple servant love to me. This utterly devout and unconditional devotion to this prince certainly paints the prince as an amazing master in the very least. Thank goodness the princess kept her promise, or else Henry might have died from heartbreak. But this podcast is not meant to analyze or deconstruct stories, although it's certainly another passion of mine. Instead, I'm trying to find a moral we can use directed towards self-love and mental health. And that brings us to the idea of love. It is undeniable that Henry loves the prince. Now, the ancient Greeks actually had eight types of love, which I honestly wish we would bring back into our modern day culture. They are thus, one, agape, or unconditional love. This is altruistic, selfless, and oftentimes spiritual in nature. It's hard for a person to have this true feeling of love. 2. Eros, or romantic love. In other words, lust. This is the passion and physical desire. Philia, or affectionate love. This is the type of brotherly love you have with your friends. It's basically what we call platonic love. I want to share a quote from lifehack.org, link in the description, which is where I also got this list, that I find relevant to share. Quote, Ironically, the ancient Greeks thought this kind of love, philia, was better than eros, sexual love, because it represented love between people who considered themselves equals. While a lot of people associate the word love with romance, Plato always argued that physical attraction wasn't necessary for love, hence why there are many different types of love. This type in particular is often referred to as platonic love, love without sexual acts, end quote. Four, philautia, or self-love. As RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? While some people consider this concept selfish, it is actually the center of what this podcast is about. Self-compassion. Self-care. Love yourself and set time aside to care for your health, your mental health especially. 5. Storge. Familiar love. This is also a strong bond, much like philia. But while philia focuses on love between friends, this is more like a guardian's love to their ward, a parent-child relationship. 6. Pragma, or enduring love. This is the marathon type of love, where eros is the honeymoon phase, the fiery passion that burns out quickly. Pragma is the love that lasts a lifetime. It is what keeps marriages together. 7. Ludus, or playful love. This is puppy dog love, the crush you have. It's infatuation. When people discuss love being like a drug, this is the love they're talking about. It really does mess with the chemicals in your brain. 8. Mania, or obsessive love. 
As the name implies, this is not the kind of love someone should strive for. Again, as Lifehack puts it, quote, It's the type of love that can lead someone into madness, jealousy, or even anger. That is because the balance between eros, sexual, and ludus, playful, is terribly off. End quote. I think it would help us, mentally and emotionally, to describe the relationships we have with others using the Greek terminology. Yes, I love my family, and I love my friends, and I love my dog. But I also have love for my neighbors, and my coworkers, and you, my listeners. If you sense that your feelings are overpowering your life, consider if the love you feel is ludus or even mania. And of course, please talk to a professional if you feel your connection with another is unhealthy in any way. Yes, the concept of Henry loving the prince is beautiful. But what life does Henry live if the prince is not in it? He pines over him, literally shackles his heart off from the world to keep it from breaking. Is that agape? Philia? Or perhaps is it mania? We must be careful when reading these stories to separate entertainment from encouragement. These are cautionary tales more often than not, after all. Thank you for listening. I welcome you back anytime you may need to hear a comforting voice or a familiar bedtime story.